Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Woo! Good to hear. It's good to hear you. Good to see you. Those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to start this morning with just something, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. But uh, isn't that exciting to hear about teenagers Wednesday night baptism? Over a hundred students on Wednesday. Isn't that incredible to hear that? Are you exciting? Well, I'm super glad that you feel that way um, because we are kicking off a brand new series next Sunday. We're wrapping up the series that we began uh, four weeks ago called The God I Barely Know. We're wrapping that up today, and we're kicking off a brand new series um, next Sunday, and that series is going to be called Suit Up, and um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, armor of God, and uh, we're going to correlate that with a little bit of a football theme since this is a football season and especially here in the south most of us identify with that at least a little bit and that being said uh, no football game no college football game or high school football game is complete unless they have a student section and so we have challenged clay um, and he'll begin talking about this on wednesday night to uh, we're, we're going to do a push to try to see um, an attempt to get more students more of our students from wednesday night here on Sunday morning, and so that particularly affects you at the 11 o'clock gathering because we are planning for this right here to be our student section. So as I look out, some of you sit in the same place every week, and I just want you to know your seat will be taken next week, so I'm glad that you appreciate teenagers. Um, and I did check before I mentioned that, and I looked all these seats over, and they don't have a name on them, so turned out it was okay uh, to do that. And if it does have a name on it, I can't help that you just wrote on it with a Sharpie. So it doesn't count, all right? So, uh, but anyway, so we're going to have a student section over here, which should be really, really cool. So my students who are here this morning, um, I'm asking you to try to make sure about 10 of your friends each are here. And if we fill up this whole section, so be it, all right? In fact, I bet you, as I, I joke a little bit, but I'll bet you as, as I look at all the people who sit there, they would willingly give up their seat for teenagers uh, or for any of our guests. Um, so we're excited about doing that. And uh, I want you to be here. It's going to be a long series. We won't finish this one up until the first week of December. And so uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 6. And I, I guarantee you at least several of the weeks um, you'll come away with something that will help, uh, that you'll find helpful in your life. All right? So let's pray together, and we're going to jump into week number last of the God I Barely Know. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, God, thank you for what you're doing around this place. Thank you especially for what you're doing in the lives of our next generation and our students and our, our kids' ministry. Thank you for all that you're doing there. It's, it's just it's a privilege to be a part of something that you are doing. Uh, thank you for the students that you are sending and those whose lives you are changing um, and God, just thank you that, um, that in, a, in the midst of a world that there seems to be a lot of chaos and a lot of reasons to be discouraged, uh, thank you that at least around here you're doing a work in the next generation that is inspiring and encouraging. And uh, Lord, I just can't wait to see how you use these students in a way that uh, honors you. As we open up your word this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you be our guide and that you... Um, you guide our conversation today. Help us to hear clearly from your word and then give us the courage to put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said 
Amen. Amen. We started this series four weeks ago um, and with an interesting title, The God That I Barely Know. And uh, the reason for that is, as I began to think about the opportunity I've had to be the pastor of this church for seven, over 17 years now, and to uh, pastor this church into three decades of my life. I was here in my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s. And coupling that with the fact that I think I've, I should be considered a professional people watcher. I mean, I, I, I kind of, you know, I consider our uh, context here, our community, our culture. I, I want to be an architect in this culture, you know, and be a part of helping to shape. And over the last 17 years, I've just watched it. I think that one of the things that we struggle with uh, probably as believers in general, but certainly as part of this family, this LifePoint family, is I think that, and it, it's probably a reflection of your leadership to a degree, is we just really struggle sometimes to understand and know and um, really have an experience of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think some of it's because he is a little bit mysterious. As we look through the pages of Scripture, there's a mysterious aspect to the Holy Spirit, um, which I think is probably indicative of anything that would be known as a spirit. There's an a, there's a aspect of mysteriousness that comes with that. Uh, but I think it's also because um, oftentimes we have allowed the culture to inform our information rather than the other way around. And so, as I mentioned multiple times throughout this series, I was affected, I think, by a church, by growing up in a church that would rather pretend like he didn't exist. And some of you have possibly been affected by a church that wanted to pretend he was the only God, that, you know, that he was the only member of the Trinity that existed. And very few of us are somewhere in the middle. It just seems like we find ourselves on either side of the spectrum. And I think the result of that is that we often find ourselves like the two people on this park bench, where there is some familiarity, there is some knowledge there is kind of like I'm supposed to know that person uh, I got I've got I know of them but I don't know know them I'm not willing to put the phone down and slide over next to them right now around here we don't have a lot of park benches that we're sitting around waiting on a bus to come pick us up so really if we want to really talk about it, the place where we experience something like this is really at church Right, like you come in, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't understand our crowds at Life Point. I really don't. Like there'll be some Sundays that we're just so packed in here that you know you can't hardly breathe, and then the next Sunday will be like this, where there's just like I don't know if everybody stayed up to watch the Alabama game. I have no idea what happened, uh, but you know then it's like sporadic, you know, and there's no explanation. But you know you come into church, and nobody has ever defined what the social norm is for where you sit. And by, by where you sit, I don't mean the location. I'm talking about no one really knows what to do when you sit down on the aisle with someone you barely know. You know what I mean? Like you may have been, there are some of you in this room today, you have been sitting in the same row around people who sit on the same row for like a decade. And you still barely know the person over there because you all follow the same protocol. And that protocol is, I'm not sure how many seats apart I'm supposed to be sitting, but I know it's not right next to each other. Right, like you, you walk into like you know this. Let's just be honest. Like, let's say you were one of the four people who come to Life Point on time, and you came in here and you sat down, and you picked your seat. Or you, you're going to pick your seat, and you walk in, and you know you're like, I'm going to sit on the fourth aisle. And you get here, and there's somebody else sitting on the fourth aisle. You know that proper protocol is not to walk over and sit next to them, but what you don't know is how far away is okay. 
right? Like we know it's not the seat right beside that person, but nobody knows, is it two seats, three seats, seven seats? Nobody really knows that. So we all sit, right, away from each other, right, is for the most part. So if we need room for 200 people, we've got to have like 1,100 seats so that we can all spread out, right? And it's kind of how we are with God. It's like, I know I'm supposed to know him, and, and I do kind of know his name. Because of this series, I now know he's not an it anymore. I know, it's, I know that the Holy Spirit is a he. I know that he is God. We addressed that in the second sermon in the series. I know that he can be grieved. I know he's emotional. I know that there are things I can do that, that break the heart, that cause sorrow to God. And last week, I know that I'm part of the family because I've been baptized into this family. But oftentimes, it's like I, 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 I know some information, but I'm still not really comfortable sitting really close to him on the seat. And for some of us in the room, I think it's because we don't fully know the Holy Spirit. And so there's some mysterious nature that can even be scary about, about that. I mean, some of you had the same experience I did when I was a kid. Like you're a little nervous, or for me as a teenager even, you're a little nervous about getting real close to God. Because if you get real close to God, he might ask you to do something you don't want to do. Right? I remember that as a teenager. God began to do a lot in my life, and I began to sense his presence. But I was really reluctant because I'm like, if I, fall, if I really get close to God on the bench, if I get really close to the Holy Spirit, I know what will happen. He'll send me to Africa. That's where he sends all the people that love him. Right? Like if you really love Jesus, you're going to Africa. Right? And I grew up with the missionaries that would come and speak at our church, and they didn't make Africa seem like a fun place. I've actually been there since then. It's not that bad. It was actually pretty cool, but... The missionaries I heard from, they, I mean, they just made it like it was horrible, right? So I'm like, I don't want to love Jesus too much. You'll be off in some place you didn't want to go, right? And so we kind of stay away. There's, there's this scary aspect. And this morning, what I want to address is this idea of what is it that happens if we finally commit ourselves to getting to know the God that we barely know? What would happen and for some of you, maybe last week was a little bit unnerving. Maybe it was caused a little bit of just maybe a little uncomfortable. Especially, and I, I've, I've since talked to several people, and there was a statement that I made last week that I know didn't sit well with everyone. And that's okay. Actually, I like messages that don't sit well with everyone, right? And I like messages that cause people to have conversation and to discuss the things that they believe and, and why they believe them. But there was, a, there was something I said last week that I think for some people didn't serve well. And this was, this was a statement I made, is as we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I believe as you look at Scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the process by which God initiates us and places us into his family. Okay? It is a process, if you look at the page of Scripture, it's a process that is totally independent of us. As believers, we have nothing to do with that process. We don't we, we don't have an emotion attached to it. We don't have a feeling attached to it. There's not some evidence of it happening. It is, it is totally inexperiential, non-experiential, meaning that you don't experience that happening. God just does it automatically. It is, it is a result of conversion. And for some of you in the room, this may have been your thought when you heard that. You may have had this thought, well, Matt, my experience seems to tell me something a little bit different. And maybe you had this thought, no, I, I, have, I, I have had a feeling 
that I associate with the Holy Spirit. I've had an experience because of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to say to you is, is if you felt that way, if you have, have had something like that at some point in your life, I want you to know, and I want to clarify what I said, really just, just be very clear this morning. I am not at all a, a saying to you or making the assumption that when you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, or there's not times when the Holy Spirit does any stuff in your life that you would experience it and have an emotion and feel that. What I said was that the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit is not related to an experience. So the question then becomes, well, Matt, what about those times in my life when I have felt the presence of God? What about the times in my life when maybe I've been sitting in church and I just knew that I could sense and feel that the Holy Spirit was there? What about the times, Matt, where maybe, maybe for some of you, you've been on a mission trip and maybe you've been like, I just know, man, I, I, being away, being in a different context, there was something I can't des describe and define any other way. But by saying, I believe the Holy Spirit was there and it affected the way I felt. Uh, maybe you're like me. I, I was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was in Africa. I don't even know how many years ago. I think somebody said it was like 12 years ago in staff meeting the other day. But I was in Africa. I was in a place called Burkina Faso, one of the poorest countries in the world. And one of the things that we did while we were there is that we had pulled some money together and we purchased these bicycles that you rode with your hands. Like you, you spun them with your hands instead of with your feet. And they were particularly, we, we, these things were built for people in that part of the world who didn't have functions with their legs. They couldn't, they couldn't pedal them. And so in that country, for the most part, unless they had a family member that could help them get somewhere, they would drag themselves basically by their arms, kind of like you'll see soldiers doing like a soldier crawl. And so we had bought some of these bicycles, and we were giving them away in this one particular village. I think we bought two of them. And so we're in this village, and we had ridden out that day in uh, Toyota Land Cruisers. I think I got that right. Toyota Land Cruisers, how we got out there to them. And you've seen these before in Africa where it like looks like the big safari vehicles. We had a couple of them, and we were still like two seats short um, for the number of people we had. And so me and a friend of mine said, we'll ride on the luggage rack, uh, which I wanted to do anyway because I wanted to see Africa from the luggage rack. And, and so we, we were riding through Ouagadougou, the capital city of, of Burkina Faso, and we go past the last power line into the bush. And I have been looking forward to this the whole trip, right? Because I'm like, somewhere on this place are lion, tigers, and bears. I mean, they got to be. I'm in Africa, right? There's got to be a giraffe. I want you to know there were none of those things when I was on the top other than a camel. I saw one camel. I don't know why there was a random camel, but that's what I saw. So I'm riding, right? And we're up on top, and it's beautiful, scenic. And, and I'm having a great time. And we get out in the bush, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes that I've been ridden, riding on this land cruiser at however fast we're going. And we go to meet these people and we go to meet these villagers and we're there to pray with them and talk to them and give away these bicycles. And this lady is there to receive one of these bicycles who can't walk. And I began to notice that she didn't have, didn't seem like she had a family with her. And so I asked the question, how did she get here? And they told me that she crawled to get there. She pulled herself by her arms, crawled to get there that day. She had no function with her legs. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I think I'm in reasonably good shape today, but I don't want to crawl from here to our front door. 
with no use of my legs. I said, well, how far did she come from? This was the answer. They named the place, and I'm like, I'm not from here. I know I may look like an African, but I'm not. I don't know where we're at. Um, can you tell me how far away that is? And they said, well, it's from further away than we started our drive this morning. I was a 25, 35-minute drive in on a land cruiser. She crawled that day from further than that away. I don't know how far away that was. She crawled to get this bicycle. So where are you going with this, map? So we're giving her this bicycle. We ask if we can pray for her. Of course, it's being translated. <laughs> and she says, yes, I'd love for you to pray for me. And we said, do you have any specific requests? And she says, I do. And we say, what? And she says, I would like for you guys to pray that I would be healed today. I'll be able to walk. I was like, well, that makes things a little more interesting, right? And immediately I'm like, well, I feel like you're setting yourself up for disappointment, right? Because apparently I have no faith. I don't know. But it's like, no, we're going to pray. You ask us to pray. I mean, we ask if we could pray. We're going to pray for this. So we begin to pray. And I want you all to know this. I wish I could tell you that, that she was healed. I can't tell you that. Here's what I can tell you. I don't know if I have ever sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit more than I did in that moment. Let me tell you how much so I sensed the Spirit of the Lord. So much so that I prayed for this lady for half the prayer, and I spent half the prayer praying this. And I'm just being totally transparent and honest with you. Half my prayer was this. God, I don't know what I'm going to do if this lady can walk when they say amen. Now, you may be thinking, man, that's silly. You, that'd be awesome. Maybe. Let me just tell you, I was in fear, reverent fear, I think, of I don't know how I'm responding if the lady that just crawled from a 30-minute drive away is able to walk when I open my eyes. I'm not sure I'm prepared spiritually for that. Like, I don't know. What, I'll be honest with you. At that moment, there were so many thoughts going through my head like, if that happens here, I guess I'm calling Jennifer and packing the boys up, and we're moving over here at that point. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, seriously, like, I don't even know what the ramifications of that would have been. And you say, well, but it didn't happen. No. I, as far as I know, it didn't happen. I've actually not talked to this lady. For all I know, she may be walking all over Africa right now. I don't know. But I will say this, that whatever did happen in that moment was one of the most real experiences of my life with the Holy Spirit. There is no question to me that he was there. I don't know what his purpose was in this. Maybe it was just for me. Maybe it was for just this message. I don't know. But I'll say this, that it was an experience, and it was a feeling, and there was no question it was there. And the question is, but Matt, you said that we don't feel the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so what is it that you felt that day? Well, that's how I want to end this series this morning, is I want to help us to understand how to maybe move a little bit closer to the God that we barely know. How to slide over a little tighter to the Holy Spirit by understanding what it is that he wants to do in our lives that we do experience and we do feel. Because here's the thing. Here's the reason we would do this series, and this is the reason we're going to end this way. I believe that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. I believe because he is a he, he wants to have a relationship with us. And I think that relationship with us is more than community. It is because he has a plan for our lives that cannot be accomplished without his help. That God wants to put us in a situation. And God wants us to find ourselves in a place 
where we are overwhelmed and even may feel incompetent about what he wants us to do. That, that when Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, he didn't step out of heaven and step into humanity just to change where you spend Sunday mornings. And so if the most significant thing that you experience in your life is, is spiritually is what happens on a Sunday morning in these seats, you are missing out. God wants so much more for your life and he wants to do so much more in your life and he wants to position you to a place where you feel totally incapable of accomplishing what it is that he wants you to do so that he can fill the gap between what you are able to do and what he wants you to do. And the only way to live life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and the only way to live a life that is living up to his expectations is to live a life intimately close to the God that we, think, that we tend to barely know. And only by experiencing his interaction in our life do we have the possibility of living in a way that he wants us to live. And this morning, I want to talk about the parts of the Holy Spirit that are experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, where he does something real and we feel it and we sense it. Paul, addressing the church in Galatia, he has an interesting take about the Holy Spirit's work. And he says this, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, I want the Spirit to motivate your action. To walk by the Spirit is, is figurative language to say, experience your life, do your life under the leadership and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Paul says, I want you to walk by the Spirit because if you do that, then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For those of you who are there this morning who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have placed your confidence in the finished work of the cross, you believe in the resurrection, and you have received Christ as your Savior, at that moment of conversion, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit where you got all the Holy Spirit you are ever going to get. He indwells your life. And at that moment, there are two forces at work in your life that determine your actions, okay? Your flesh and your spirit. The flesh is that part of you that, that makes decisions based on how it feels and what it is that your life, your body, your life, your mind, your soul, your spirit says, that's what I want. Okay? I'll give you an example. Have you ever, I mean, this is a way to know if it's your flesh. Have you ever done something? At some point in your life, you just made a decision, you did something. And immediately, maybe as soon as you did it, you're like, I have no idea why I just did that. The only explanation I have is apparently the devil made me do it. You ever had that thought? Anybody in the room ever been there like, I don't even know why I did it. The devil made me do it, right? Well, maybe, but possibly what it was, was it was a result of walking in your flesh. And it's just an impulsive, oftentimes, response to just what you want to do, all right? It's why people who are lost act like people who are lost, because the only God in their life is their flesh, right? As believers in Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when lost people act like lost people. In fact, they're doing exactly what they should do, act like a lost person, right? But when we are saved and Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit indwells us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where he initiates us in the family, and we receive the Holy Spirit into our life, 
we now have a second force at work in our life, the Spirit. And Paul says about those, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're at war with one another, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. All right? That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, toward the end of it, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do are the very things I find myself doing. Who can rescue me from this body of death? It is that fight. It is that opposing force where the Spirit of God directs us, but our flesh is opposed to that. The Spirit's opposed to the flesh. There's a constant fight in our lives. Paul says, that's the process by which you have to make a conscious decision to walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. What's going to inform your decisions? You see, sometimes I get around people and they're like, I just need to get back in church. Yeah, you probably do. That's a good thing. I need to come to church more. You probably should. It's not a bad thing to do. I need to get in a life group. I need to be serving. We want you doing all of those things. But those things are just symptomatic. A better way to think about it is this. What's going to dictate the actions of my life, my flesh or the Spirit of God? We, we can keep trying to kind of put disciplines in our lives, like I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. Okay, that's, that's a little far-fetched. I'm going to go three out of four Sundays. I'm going to try to put that discipline in my life. I'm going to pray for one hour a day. Okay, I probably can't do that. I'm going to pray once a day. Does the blessing count, right? And we try to do all these things. Well, here's what would be better instead what Paul says is, walk by the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to dictate your response, your activity, your reactions, your agenda. And he says, when we do that, when we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh, right? I mean, it's, the flesh is kind of like sugar, Okay? You can never get enough. It'll never be satisfied. Sugar will never be satisfied in your life, right? You eat one piece of key lime pie, your body doesn't go, hey, that was wonderful. I'm good for about a year. It goes, hey, you know there's a second slice in there, right? right? You, eat, you eat a brownie, and your body goes, some ice cream would be good, right? But in the flesh, is the same way. It is never satisfied. You give the flesh an inch, it'll take a mile. You allow the flesh to be satisfied just a little, it'll want more. Right? And Paul says, they're opposing forces. You make a conscious decision to walk by the flesh, that way you don't gratify the desires of the, or you walk by the spirit, you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on to say, now the works of the flesh are evident. All right, and you've seen these all worked out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. And people all across the room got uncomfortable. Like, I didn't know those words were in the Bible. Right? I didn't think we we're supposed to say those words. Right? Let me tell you what this list is. It's not a conclusive list because he ends with, and things like these. These are the list of the way and the direction and the results of our life when we allow our life to be directed by our flesh. And here's the interesting thing about these things. 
is that in every one of these things that we look at, when we make the decision to pull the trigger on a decision that make this, this concerning one of these, things in our life never get any better, right? Let me tell you what I've never had. I've never had anybody call me up, direct message me on Facebook, shoot me a message. Never had this one. Never had it go like this. Hey, Pastor Matt, just wanted you to know I got on Facebook today. Started looking around what all the, all the stuff my friends were doing. I mean, by friends, I don't mean people I actually have a relationship with. I'm talking about the people that's clicked that little button, add friend. Boy, wouldn't it be great if life was really that easy, right? But I've been looking, and I got a couple of friends. They just, they're getting ready for fall break. They're going on the coolest vacation. Going to somewhere awesome, somewhere I've always wanted to go, but I haven't been. I kept scrolling on down. I bumped into a friend that's behind a new house in a neighborhood exactly where I'd like to be. I scrolled down a little bit further. You know how many friends I've got that's taking pictures at car lots that's bought new vehicles lately? Pastor Mass wanted you to know as I was scrolling through that, I was overwhelmed by envy and jealousy. And I just want you to know it was just a blessing to my heart. I've had the best day. I can't tell you what a wonderful day it was sitting around thinking just how jealous I was of all my friends. In fact, I became so envious of them. I was like, I hope your house burns down and your car breaks down and your vacation gets rained out. And it just made me feel so good. I went into a fit of anger over it, Matt. And I was like, this is just a blessing to my life. At the end of it, I was like, well, the only way I know to deal with it is get drunk. And let me just tell you, that was the right decision. Matt, I just wanted you to know, I've had a great week. I've just never received that message. Never seen that post on Facebook. Never had somebody come by the church and let me know how wonderful their life was going. Because what we all know is, when we give in to our flesh, we always find ourselves in a situation where our flesh takes us further than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. What we begin to realize in our life is that life just seems to get more complicated, not less, when we submit our desires and we make a decision that's filtered through to to gratify our flesh. On the other hand, Paul says, but... When we walk in the Spirit, we experience the fruit of the Spirit. You know, what the, you know what fruit is? Fruit on a vine or in a plant. Fruit is the result of the decisions made ahead of time. If you experienced fresh tomatoes this year, that's the fruit of planting tomatoes and tending tomatoes way before the fruit showed up. And Paul says the fruit, the result of walking in the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. You know, we probably don't have a sign-up sheet that anybody's going to sign up for in the foyer that says, hey, if you'd, like a, if you'd like a little more sexual immorality and some fits of rage and maybe some drunkenness and some envy and jealousy, just sign up in the foyer. We probably don't have many people that will leave on Sunday morning and sign up for that. But if I were to say to you guys, Hey, is there anybody in the room 
that your life could benefit from just a little more love? I bet I'd get a bunch of people to raise their hand. I bet you if I said, does anybody in the room need to experience joy and peace today? I bet I could get some people to go, I'll take it. A little patience and kindness and goodness. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to log on to Facebook and see any one of those three things? Some faithfulness and some gentleness. And I bet you if we got any moms of young toddlers, some self-control might be all right today. Am I right? See, I bet you when you look at those two lists, it becomes very apparent to you of which list has the results that you really want to experience in your life. And Paul says it's pretty simple. Walk in the Spirit and you won't desire, you won't. You won't experience it. Walk in the Spirit so that you don't have to give in to the desires of the flesh. And he ends up, finishes up talking to the Galatians with a very interesting verse to me. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I think our students do a, have like outpaced our adults on Bibles and notes that's why we're going to have a student section in here next week is we're going to let our students give a little lesson on how to pay attention and what notes to take. So those of you students who have it taken, I want you to highlight and circle. Keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, I can't think of anything that I would rather say more to you guys as you were teenagers that I wish that our adults would hear today but I wish that they could have heard it 20 years ago for some of them is this. Stay in step with the Spirit. Just keep in step with Him. Like, like there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that somebody's going to tell you it takes to be successful in life. But you find the Spirit of God and you slip over close to Him on the bench and you just make it a priority of your life. I'm just going to stay in step with the Spirit. And I'm going to let the chips fall wherever they may. And let me tell you what you're going to find when you do that. You're going to find a life that's characterized by joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you're going to get to avoid the jealousy and the sexual immorality and the envy and the grief and the dissension. And it doesn't even have to be a part of your story. You say, well, how do we do that, Matt? Like, I'm, I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? And I want to show you this very quickly this morning. Is Paul in the book that he in the letter he wrote to the Ephesians? He says, Look carefully then how you walk. Remember, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit, not as an unwise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Everybody in the room? Don't be foolish. Instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, the most if you don't want to be a fool, then understand God's will. And to understand God's will is to obey God's will. To understand this, God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. That's, that's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. It's not based on, wisdom and foolishness is not decided upon with your financial pursuit. It's not decided upon by your agenda. It's not decided by your success. It's not decided by what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in. Here's what decides it. What are you doing with the reality that God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it? Walking in step with the Spirit, wise. Giving in to the desires of the flesh, foolish. Really simple. 
He says, therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I think there's two interesting things in this verse that I want to show you, and then I want to give you a bottom line and let you go this morning. I think it's interesting that Paul associates being filled with the Spirit with drunkenness. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does he do that? Here's why. I think what he's trying to say is in the same way that alcohol controls the drunkard, you need to let the Holy Spirit control you. When you think about someone who finds themselves intoxicated, have you ever noticed that their personality almost 100% of the time changes? They become a person unlike they were when they weren't intoxicated. Why? Because they're no longer controlled by their brain or by their heart or by their soul or by their mind. By their emo- They're controlled by the alcohol. It makes the quiet person loud. It makes the loud person quiet. It makes the timid person brave. Why? Because it alters the way that we act and the way that we make decisions. Paul says the same way that alcohol controls the user, I want you to be so filled with the Spirit of God that he controls every aspect of your life. Which is interesting, right? To think about being controlled by the Spirit that way. But let me ask you this. If you were to take an audit of your life, how much of your life is filtered and controlled by the Holy Spirit? How often are you making decisions in your life because you say, this is what I think God wants me to do? I've been spending time on the park bench with the Holy Spirit, and I know this doesn't make sense, and it's a little bit counter to my personality. It's not not what I would normally do, but I just feel like he's asking me to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. When you're making your checklist and your pros and cons list on the decisions you're going to make, to what degree do you factor in the Holy Spirit? I'll give you an idea in a way that you can determine just how much you are filled with the Spirit. How often do you find yourself in a place where you feel overwhelmed? You feel, in, you feel unable or you feel incompetent to accomplish what it is that you feel like you're called to accomplish. Because if you're constantly in a place where you can control your own destiny and everything feels comfortable and smooth and everything is just great, chances are you're not sitting very close to the Holy Spirit. He has a tendency to make us uncomfortable. He has a tendency to ask us to do things that feels like more than what he should ask us to do. He has a tendency to put us in a place where we go, God, I don't think I can do that. And he goes, that's exactly what I was waiting on. Because I wasn't going to ask you to do anything. I was wanting you to be in a place where when I do it, people knew I did it and you didn't do it. If you don't feel incapable and incompetent and somewhat overwhelmed, Get a little closer to the Holy Spirit, and he'll put you in that place. Uh, The last thing I want to show you about that is that it becomes our responsibility. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means we we have the capability to live life in such a way that we are not filled by the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of times in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 where 
being filled by the Holy Spirit feels like an event where God just decides to do something. If you want to be a part of an event where you just feel like God does something in your life, I assure you, God the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman, and he will not go to a place where he is unwelcomed. You want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you better make room for him. You see, here's what I think happens. I thought about bringing this out today. Maybe I should. I want you to imagine like a a gallon or a half-gallon mason jar. And you have a pitcher of water, and you're going to fill the mason jar with water. But let's say the first thing you do is you go outside the our landscaping out here, and there's some of those rocks, those river rocks. You take those river rocks, and you fill it up, and then you go to pour the water in it. But you get the water right up to the brim. You might look at that and go, well, it's full of water. The truth would be it's not. You might have a pint of water in a gallon and a half-gallon container. Why? Because the rocks are taking up the rest of the space. But if you dump the rocks out, it turns out you could put a half a gallon of water in a half a gallon container. And then it would be full of water. See, for a lot of us in the room, we can't be filled with the Spirit because we don't have room in our life for Him. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is is a decision of priority. It's a decision to say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then let everything else be added to it. For some of us, we are so concerned about our finances and our influence and our agenda and what people think about us and how much we got going on. And we wear busyness like a badge of honor. To the point that we come in on Sunday morning, we're like, boy, I sure would like to experience that with the Holy Spirit. I'd like, to, I'd like to have that experience in my life. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, you don't. You don't even have time to get over next to me, much less have room for me to fill you. And maybe today the decision you need to make is to take audit of your life. And say, what are the stuff and the things that are getting in the way of me living my life in such a way? that I make space for the Holy Spirit. And then maybe you ask God to give you the courage to make those adjustments. Bottom line this morning, and I'm done. It's kind of a bottom line of the whole series as well. Stay in step with the Spirit. This God that maybe five weeks ago we barely knew. That's a he, not a it. That's not a representation of God. He is God that can be grieved by our decisions, baptizes us into his family, and wants us to live our lives filled with the Spirit, walking step in step with the Spirit so that we don't satisfy the desires of the flesh. Stay in step with him. I grew up hunting with my dad. We hunted a lot of public land that for whatever reason meant we never saw any deer hardly, But we hiked and walked a long way from the truck. And Matt never knew where he was at. I never had a clue where we were at. I didn't know how to get back. You know why I didn't know? Because I just followed my dad. And wherever he stepped, I stepped. I just stayed in step with my dad. Because here's what I knew. I knew he knew where he was going. And I knew he knew how to get me back. So it really didn't matter where I was going. It didn't matter if I knew what was going on. I knew he knew. Train yourself to just get stepped in step with the Lord. Be close enough to him on the bench that when he moves off the bench, you just move with him. When he walks down the road, you walk with him. When he leads you somewhere, just follow right behind him. You say, well, I don't know if I know where exactly he's going. It's okay, he does. 
And he knows how to get you back if he needs to. Just stay in step. Like it's a dance that he leads. You just stay step in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as we sing today a song to you, about you, I pray that during this time of response that we would take audit of our lives. We begin to think about the times in our life and the, what's the patterns of our life where we have been satisfying the desires of the flesh. And God, that we would take an opportunity this morning to make space for you, to allow you to fill our lives, that we may walk in the Spirit, that we might experience love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God, put us in a place where we feel overwhelmed and incapable and incompetent. And then fill the gap. May you receive all honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.